Hey, hey, welcome back everyone to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm your host, Tom Morcus, and today I sit down with Michael Greenberg, who is a serial entrepreneur, strategist, founder of Gentlemen of Technology, and the CEO of Call for Content, a white label podcasting agency. In a nutshell, Call for Content helps agency owners book podcasts for their clients. So instead of going the typical straight-to-client approach, they sell their services to agencies who then go and resell the service to their existing clients. So it's kind of a brilliant remix of a simple concept, but in a space where I don't think this is happening very much, or at least this is the first time I've heard of it. And that's why I brought Mike on the call today, because I thought it was just kind of a really clever uh, restructuring remix of a really solid business strategy. And that also leads into what my big takeaway from today's call, which is that if you already do client-based work, consider what a white label B2B type structure would look like for you. Because it's possible there are already competitors out there doing it, but if you already run a great service, why not try white labeling? Why not try selling you know, B2B so that then you don't have to deal with the pain of client generation, lead generation, closing new sales, et cetera, et cetera, right? especially if you are somebody who really likes the implementation side, but you struggle with the sales side. Instead, you could hypothetically land just a few agency clients, and then they can go ahead, repackage, repurpose, and sell your work at a markup so they make money and you make money, and you don't have to deal with any of that administrative kind of front-end nonsense in the client generation side, which, again, I see it as a potential win-win depending on you know the type of work that you like to do. So there are, of course, downsides to the model, like the potential for the agency trying to bring that fulfillment in-house. But for spaces that are kind of still relatively green or underdeveloped or new, like podcasting, I think this is a really great approach. So I'll leave it at that. Listen to today's conversation. Hopefully it gives you some ideas and I hope you really enjoy it. And if you do, make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, anywhere you find in the trenches. Thank you in advance for your support. All right, without further ado, Let's get to today's conversation. Mike, so let's kick things off. I want to hear a little bit about, about your background. Right, we're going to get into this uh, uh, topic of authority positioning we were just talking about before we hit record here. And I do want to get to that. But I want to know how you even got into this space in the, in the first place. And, and I know you've done quite a bit of work in the, in the B2B space. And, and you have a, a pretty extensive background and in portfolio, but give us a little bit of like kind of what led you to what you're doing today. Yeah. So I come from a family of entrepreneurs. Um, it's something that I was around growing up. And so it, I knew this was a direction that I ultimately wanted to head in uh, pretty early on. But I was going to college for economics. I decided to take a semester off to go to a coding boot camp. Um, got hired by a startup out there. Didn't go back to college uh, for quite a while. And left the startup, but loved the lifestyle and started consulting as a B2B growth strategist. Uh, from there, I worked with a number of agencies and realized that I should really build my own agency and show them how to do it right. And so Call for Content got started as a B2B content marketing uh, agency. We developed this system of authority marketing. And then about nine months ago, we launched a white label podcasting service to other agencies and I saw really good results with that. Uh, scrapped everything that was non-podcasting related. And at that point, our authority marketing, we had already started doing with a podcast for almost every client. So it was a very easy transition. So let's break down this, the, what you're doing now on the podcasting front. And 
I don't know, maybe we go higher level first, if that makes more sense, like depending on how you want to talk about it. But I'm kind of curious how you guys, how you guys approach this. Cause you mentioned, oh, you got, it was like great results from this. So presumably then on, on like the client front. So tell me a little bit about how clients are like taking advantage of being on podcasts, I guess. And then I'm happy to kind of, you know, go, go back a little bit if we have to. Yeah. So for us, we decided to go white label with our podcast production. And so I'm going to break that down. Uh, we've got three lines of services with call for content. Authority marketing, which is our flagship. That's the highest price point and also the most effective that's done for you end-to-end B2B content marketing. We've got podcasting services, which is consulting and monetization audience growth for existing podcasts. And then we've got podcast production, which is, I don't have a show, but I want to have one. Help me make it. And what we did is we white labeled our podcast production services and offered them to agencies that I knew in my work as a consultant and said, look, we'll be your podcasting team. All you need to do is bring us a client that wants to make a podcast and we'll handle the rest. And it'll be your client. You own that relationship. We bill you and you bill your client. So it's not even, it's not our brand at that point. And we don't control the full success around it. And so that works really well for us because people want to make podcasts and agencies want to be able to sell you podcasts. And that's how we expanded that part of the business. Uh, So it was less based on success of client shows as it was based on our agency partners having clients who were happy with the results. Tell tell me a little bit about that. How'd you, how'd you figure that out? Like, how do you know that like podcasting would be the thing? And then, and then think about, I mean, I love the idea, like connect with agencies who are already doing this stuff for clients and it might not be in this particular skill set isn't in the wheelhouse. You can provide it for them. I, I think that's like kind of a model. I don't almost, I won't say anybody can replicate, but like not, not necessarily for this, but like think about that. Like they can think about that and use that framework um, because it's like, where do I find need? Uh, or where is there a need with these agencies? Like I, I really, there's something I like about a lot about that because you're just tapping into something that's already existing. They've already done the hard work of generating, you know, clients, leads, and you're just providing them a very valuable service on top of it. So, like, tell me a little bit about like the, I guess, the genesis of that idea and how you went about implementing it. First off, thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that somebody else thinks it's a good idea too. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um, I had a, like I mentioned before. I was consulting with agencies as a growth strategist and white label had come up with a number of agency services and white label exists in SEO services. It's a large part of the SEO market. And what I saw, what I realized with podcasting was that so long as I systematized and essentially productized that podcasting service to borrow from, if you've heard of Brian Castle, Mm -hmm. uh, productized services is very much, I think, something he's staked his name to. Um, But I saw this opportunity to productize podcasting. And if it was in that format, and if we had one or two kinds of shows that we could explain easily to our partners so that they could sell them, then we had something that we could push through these reseller channels. And white label is my personal favorite approach because it gives us a great reason to never share client information because that's one of the things I see a lot of people do that I just uh, facepalm about. 
all the time. What do you mean exactly on that front? Just so I, I, I understand what you, what you like. Uh, yeah. In the agency world, mm-hmm. if you list out all your clients, somebody's going to try to poach them. Oh yeah. Right. And so white label means we might list one or two white label partners, but the fact that we have this program and that it's built out enough to handle scale means that we know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it means that we can service a much larger base of clients with a lot fewer logos attached. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. How do you like, uh, what was the, so would you say that then that conversation with these agencies was pretty natural? Like it was like something that they actually needed. It wasn't like, like uh, both natural or, but also easy and not easy. Easy is a bad word because nothing's ever easy, but it seems like it would be kind of a natural congruent fit. Um, and so like who were, when you think about this and you don't have to give names of specifics, but I'm like curious, what, what types of agencies would you be targeting? like for something like this? So the agencies that we see this work well for have been SEO agencies, Mm -hmm. um, communications agencies, and then full service digital marketing agencies. And the full service have been the most successful for us so far. That's because when they can offer a specialist service and they can take a very specific margin on every time they sell that, that's generally a happy thing for them uh, because they want to just expand and take as much of a client's budget as possible. Interesting. Yeah, I know. That's fascinating. This is uh, so then that's, that's your, you know, that, that was the way you kind of got into the space. And does that continue to be kind of the number one thing you do like through connecting through like through agencies or do you guys market this outside of the white label space? We're now marketing it outside of the white label space. Mm -hmm. Uh, That happened just a few weeks ago now. Uh, And with that, we launched our podcast, our services, all that consulting and audience growth and monetization. And really what this all is, is us taking authority marketing and the big packages that we've had in the past and saying, okay, we now have a defined enough process for SEO when it comes to podcasting that we can roll this out as a single item. And we now have, okay, if we want to place somebody as a guest on podcasts, we now have this process down to the point where we can offer it as this single service rather than the whole package. How do the agencies feel about you guys rolling out your own thing? Does that, does that get into any fine, like, is there, is there, is it just, it's all good or is there any, you know, is that an issue? Is that a challenge or like, is there anything there where it's like, well, we have to tread carefully because you'd been white labeling it before. Is there any, anything that pops up like that? I'm just kind of curious with that kind of transition. Not particularly. Uh, we're, we're not very active in lead generation mm-hmm. because partnerships are a large portion of our sales. Yep. And most of the agencies we partner with are either in industries that we don't really do lead generation in that we're not focused on reaching or their specialist agencies like ours, because we're not going to sell you everything. We sell these three lines and we might have a few packages in each line. And that's our offering list. Um, and that stay, we stay in our lane by keeping our services narrow. Yeah. Does it, do you, do, uh, and I know you guys are kind of fresh and new on that, that piece um, with kind of rolling it out yourselves. And so I don't know if there's a, if there will be an answer to this, but I'm kind of curious. Is there with, with, with white labeling, as far as I understand it in my experience in that kind of space, which is very, very limited, but I've, I've done a little bit of work, you know, then the, the typical thing is that the person is going to be raising the price. So if I'm the resale, I'm the resale, I'm going to obviously raise the price than whatever you guys charge me for it. So I can, so I can capture some margin. What, what would keep just the client from just jumping ship and joining you guys 
And I guess like, you know, something like that. It's white label. So they don't know that we're servicing uh, them. Complete. Okay. So yeah. So they don't even know. Okay. Interesting. So that's, that, okay. That's a, yeah, they don't, they have no idea. It might as well just be part of the agency they're already working with. Exactly. Got it. Got it. Got it. I just want to make sure that that makes a lot of sense now. Interesting. Um, it, I'm kind of curious what, you know, as far as you're concerned, like kind of splitting, rolling out your own, your own platform for it then and kind of doing your own lead generation for this new service. You know, what, what you just described to me with the white label thing seems, you know, pretty ingenious, pretty, pretty great, a great fit because I just can't imagine most agencies ever wanting to spin up their own, you know, podcast production division or something like that. It just, it seems, it seems too niche, but also relevant enough where they still want to have it. Um, Why expand in that, that space? What are you, what are you hoping to accomplish? Like, where does this go for you? So our goal really is to be the podcasting agency. Yep. And that means if it comes to the business of podcasting or the business of marketing a podcast, we want to be the best in that field. Mm. And so when, when we look at the avenues that we're expanding in, the way we expand our podcasting services now is almost exclusively by reaching out to podcasters. And that's because we want to build a big community of podcasters so that we know exactly what the pulse is of the podcasting community. And so it's, it's kind of a cloaked media relations program for us, or at least that's how it started. And now it's turned into some weird hybrid yeah. of that plus lead generation because people have actually wanted our services. Uh, and that was not something I was expecting with the podcasters. Uh, so that's, it's been a happy coincidence. And then tell me a little bit about this authority, um, the, the, the way you kind of approach authority, like w- with, in terms of like kind of serving the clientele too. And obviously you guys are taking the approach of podcasting for this, but maybe break down like what your approach is on the lead generation uh, and, and authority positioning, the kind of stuff you guys are kind of teaching and showcasing and, and, and effectively like working with professionals on with these podcasts in a different, different context to like help them you know, position themselves as authorities. So maybe you can break down your system or your structure for that. Yeah. So the first, the real point of differentiation that I like to focus on with how we do authority um, is that our two fundamental rules are that authority is based in specialization and relativity. And so in order to become an authority in a market, you have to know laser focused who your audience is that you're trying to reach. Because the authority that you generate is only valuable if it is authority that they see, if it is authority in relation to them. Hmm. And then the other side of that specialization is that the more tightly defined the niche, the more focused we are on a single small audience of high value, the easier it is for us to establish you as an authority. So it helps to really niche down and get, get super focused. Yeah. And that I've got the authority marketing playbook that the first half of it just about is positioning. Um, We don't even get to talking about how you actually generate authority or how you generate leads with that. Uh, Oh, it's actually three quarters positioning. So it's not until about 75% of the way through (laughs) this actual playbook on authority marketing that we get to the part where we start doing the marketing. In your experience, do you find like a lot of, you know, a lot of people you work with, a lot of clients actually kind of already get that? They already are, you know, they, they have, they're, they're spot on with their positioning or do you find that that's actually a struggle that a lot of people have and 
and that's something that you have to work through with them. It's almost always a struggle. Yeah, I imagine it's, it's always, it's one of those things where you, when you see somebody else who's like got it locked down tight, like, oh man, they, you know, good brand, good positioning, like it all makes sense. But to do that from scratch, um, even if you're working, like I've, ex- my experience has been when I'm working with clients too and stuff like that in different contexts that a lot of times, even if they're doing well, they, they still struggle maybe with, with the positioning too itself. Like they can actually have a really thriving business and still not have like, not, not be as specific as you were just describing even, or as like focused as they could be. I don't know. What are your, what's your take on this and what do you recommend? I mean, you can replace strategy with just brute force. Mm-hmm. That like, that's how a full service digital marketing agency comes into existence. Um, that's how a lot of service businesses, a lot of businesses in general happen is just somebody has good enough skill in business development and sales, and they will go out there and pound the pavement and hustle until they reach their numbers. And that's definitely a way to build your business, but I am very lazy. And so I like high, I like high traction. I prefer every time I, I focus on the sniper rifle focus, that laser focus, uh, rather than any sort of shotgun approach. When it comes to podcasts, I'm curious, let's maybe an example of like the sniper approach for this, for the podcasting agency, like who would it be? Um, yeah. Yeah. So for us, when we talk about authority marketing, it's a consultant or coach with a business who that is already over six figures. They likely have just brought on their first assistant. And we know that when they're entering into working with us, They normally have some content already created. They normally have some small email list already. And they're getting to the point where they need to focus on sales and servicing their clients. And they're looking to offload essentially all of their marketing. And so our job then is to come in and develop that program. And we've got four different personas that actually I can pull those up. We can talk a little about them here uh, that we use for authority marketing. And each one of them is based on a specific person that we did, that we have either worked with in the past or are still working with. Uh, So we built our personas from specific people. Uh, Each one represents a category of maybe 10,000 potential clients for us. And what's been, have you guys been using... Well, you're on this podcast right now. So have you been using podcasts to generate leads for this? So I did last year, took a break when we were making the shift to podcasting. And now I've started to get back into it. Uh, This is, I think, the fifth or sixth show on this tour. Uh, And I've got another dozen booked or recorded and not released. Um, So we're, we're going big on podcasting for this. Do you have any any sense of what the ROI is from something like this? Like from being on a podcast? That's that's a really interesting question. Uh, so ROI in particular, I can't place just for being on a podcast, but I can give you a few key details about if you want to get leads from podcasts. Yeah, let's do that. Number one is consistent appearances over time and a focus on ensuring that you have multiple appearances. I cannot stress enough, one podcast does not do it. Uh, The general way that somebody, that a lead comes in from podcasting 
is either they listen to an episode with you and they contact you immediately, or more likely, they will listen to an episode with you, stop, think about it, and then maybe try to download another three or four episodes with you. And so you've got to have those three or four episodes there, and they've got to be fairly recent and on shows that are big enough to actually show up when the person searches. And for me, I, I expect anywhere from three months to a year for a podcast tour to really pay off. And the leads that I get in from having listened to me on a show close at a significantly higher rate than any other sort of lead. And I think that's because by the time they come to me, they've already heard me have multiple conversations on the topic and on what they're coming to me to purchase. What has uh, worked then to, to get people to, to reach out from podcasts? Like, what do you do to incentivize that? Is, that? is there anything you do on the podcast interview or anything like that? That is critical. Oh, yeah. So everyone should go to authoritymarketingplaybook.com. Uh, that will redirect you to the Authority Marketing Playbook, which is the download that we use with the show. Uh, so what we do is we generally create some sort of download, ebook, lead magnet, whatever you want to call it, and have that. We're starting to get into a lot of audits and like assessments now as well. But you call that out on the show. We normally try to get a unique domain name to point to that piece of content as well. And then we use that to drive the traffic. So that specific call to action centered around a piece of content that is related to the topic that you discussed on the show. Got it. And so you guys have a pretty, it's a pretty this is like a full on, like almost like long form sales page type landing page for this, which is pretty cool. Oh, I mean, this is just the book. This is literally the playbook. Mm. It's got a table of contents on the side and everything. Mm, that's good. That's interesting. And then if you want, if you really want to work with us, download the templates or book office hours, and then you get to the site, uh, then you get in the funnel. But what we'll generally do is we've got all of our targeting pixels and we're going to retarget somebody who lands on this page. If they fit our firmographic profiles on LinkedIn, then retargeting will come up and we'll advertise the case study for authority marketing to them. And so that's that in that retargeting is really where we're starting to see better capture. Oh, so you guys, you guys actually run wait, like retargeting like ad campaigns? Yeah. On top of this. So anybody who lands on this page, right? Yep. And those campaigns are a mixture of case study for direct to sales, as well as campaigns of other episodes that I've been featured on talking about authority marketing. That's very fascinating. Okay. What, what, else, what else is critical in the authority piece uh, or, or lead gen piece from podcasts or anything else that, that you think professionals would... And anybody who's considering this or thinking about it, it's like, I'm, uh, I've, I don't, I don't like, I'm not, I'm not selling it and I don't really preach it, but I'll bring it up a lot. I'm like, I think a podcast is one of the best things I've done for myself, for my business. And I've, I've shared that on other shows. Um, when I think about it, I think it's one of the best things. And I think blogging can be really, was really good for me in the beginning too. But I think podcasting is a great way to connect to people. And, and so I've always been a big proponent of it. But from you, from your vantage point, um, you know, what are your recommendations for people who are curious of either getting on podcasts or starting their own podcasts? Like what's, what are the things we need to consider or factor in or think about before we make the leap? So there's two major things. Uh, for getting on podcasts, what the question I like to ask people and the frame that we use to frame podcast appearances or having a podcast for that matter 
is as equivalent to a speaking engagement, not a blog placement. Would you mind sharing uh, how many downloads you have on the show or like uh, per episode? Podcasts? I mean, I don't know. Definitely tens. Were, I mean, I think, I think total, I probably would be at like, I think I'm over at a hundred thousand in total, but like I had to shift. This is strange, but when I shifted from, I was on like Lipson, then I went to Rainmaker, then I went to like Podbean and I was uh, kind of did it uh, pretty amateurly, I guess, but I lost all the, I had basically wiped out my podcast when I switched platforms. So I basically started fresh, but you know, I'd say up, up there in thousands per episode, you know, give or take. I've never spoken to a thousand people in a room before. Mm-hmm. I've never given a speech to 500 people, mm-hmm. but people listen to me on a podcast. Thousands of people listen to me on a podcast uh, like this one. And so similarly, you having a show, that's like you having that audience listen to you every week. And that's it. People have difficulty because they think of podcasts too much like blogs. And it's great to turn your podcast into a blog after you record the episode. But when you think about audience for a podcast, I think of it much more in terms of speaking engagements. Hmm. This would be, and that's okay. So is that from the vantage point just to, because this is a very meta conversation, multiple levels of it really. But uh, so is that specifically on the context of if I was, if I were running my own podcast to think of it like a speaking engagement, but, or, or, or is it and, 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 or, the person who's going to be interviewed on podcast also think of it that way. Yeah, definitely. And okay. So, so what, what does that mean though? Like, okay, I, I, I get that it's a lot of people listening and I get that. And it is pretty cool to think about. Um, but what does that mean? Like, how do I have to change up what I'm doing? Um, when I think of it from that vantage point, it's less about change up what you're doing, but change about up how you think about the value of it. Because one of the biggest things that I run into with new clients, especially who have some good authority behind themselves already, is that they don't think it's worth getting on a show with only 200 or 300 listeners an episode. Mm-hmm. But they can't get 20 people in a room. And so that's, that's the first shift to think about because most shows are not going to get big audiences. A show breaking 1,000 downloads an episode is amazing. Like that's putting you in the top 10 or 20% of all shows. Mm. Yeah. Well, I've always been in, I think the top 10% of everything I do, you know? Well, so I take that as go. a, right. <laughs> Just, <laughs> no, this is interesting because you know, this is, uh, I, it, it does. It, so it, it, let's riff on that for a second, because I'm actually kind of curious about this, knowing that that's how you should think about it. I get that. Right. Because it is one of those things where I'm like, it's been really hard for me to track directly what I've earned from the podcast because I don't do ads and I never will. Um, I just don't care. I don't care about that. I don't care about sponsorships. But the indirect revenue I made from it is pretty wild, I think. If I actually were to really go in and, and zoom in on it, the clients that have come from it, just from hosting my own podcast, speaking engagements, the things I've been, I've been invited to speak and present um, because of the podcast. So lots of just amazing things. Again, I just think people probably should consider starting a podcast. That's not a, you know, I know that's, you know, we're talking about it. You guys obviously have a service. I'm just saying that broadly speaking, like even if people were just do it by themselves, obviously go to you guys if, if they have questions, but I think but it's very, got the playbook to do it yourself too. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. And it's like, I think it's a, it's solid, but, and so I never came at it from the perspective of this is just a blog, but in audio format. Um, I never did. I always thought it, but I didn't think of it like speaking from stage. I thought of it like, 
I want to connect with really smart people and I want to learn from them. So it was a very uh, selfish, but then on, I guess on the, the spinning it front is I wanted to share those interviews with other people and make that a benefit than the person I'm interviewing. And then everybody wins hypothetically. And I think that has actually been the case. So I'm curious, think of it like a speaking, like a platform is, does that, should that, does that influence, is that more just like, Hey, just like know that it's not going to be like, you know, you're going to get 10,000 clicks to this page. You're going to one percent conversion rate over here. Is it that kind of, is that why you're sharing that and saying that? Or is it, or should we also consider how we present on a podcast or what we should pre- be presenting or, or sharing or talking, talking about? Definitely both. Okay. So, uh, so break that down that piece for me in terms of the, maybe the content piece. Yeah. So most people listen to podcasts because podcasts are offering them conversations they're not having. So you want, just like you think about when you're creating a speaking engagement, you want to give the audience something that they're not thinking about or that maybe they are thinking about, but you want to give them a side that they haven't considered before. Podcasts are the same way. You want to give, you want to start and open a conversation for them to continue. And so the content that you put out around it, the number one way for a podcast to spread is word of mouth, which means that if your podcast leaves the audience wondering something and you can get your audience to talk with you or to talk with each other about it, that's a successful show. I love it. No, that's great advice. All right. Well, hey, you know, I, I know I have to be uh, respectful of your time, Mike, and I, I appreciate all this. this is really good. Is there anything else that you would say that I, I didn't ask, but you think should be covered, something that we should highlight here um, in regards to either authority or the podcasting piece? Yeah. Even if nobody listens to your podcast, like literally nobody, just having on guests and the connections you can make there will likely make it ROI positive. I, I'm going to echo that and say that's that's exactly what I was getting at before. Really, I just didn't mention the fact that like nobody, but obviously nobody was listening in the beginning, you know. But I was still able to build relationships with people, and many of those, you know, original interviews um, became relationships and friendships, and sometimes you know, uh, working engagements and stuff like that. It's it's I completely agree. I uh, let me ask you this real quick. Sorry, because I, I should have thought of, but that made me think of another thing. How do you think about getting? because you mentioned like a lot of podcasts don't actually get a lot of downloads. How do you promote a podcast to get more downloads? Something I actually don't, I really don't even think about or care about, but um, I'm actually really curious now because hearing the stats that you just gave me, because I don't know, I'm just fascinated by it. What do you guys do? What would you recommend on that front? Like to actually get more people downloading a podcast? We focus on a combination of placing the host on other shows to promote their show. Mm -hmm. um, And then ads. Ads. Okay. Interesting. What do you, but what do you, let me ask you about that then. If you're doing ads, like, what are you spending and what are you measuring? Like, are you, you know, am I trying to get like a $5 a download or something like that or what? A dollar a download's dollar uh, download. yeah. pretty good. $2, $3 if we're going for B2B. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, can you measure that effectively? It's getting a lot better. What do you, do you have any tools, any software, anything I need to, to be able to measure something like that if I were running ads to, to my yeah. podcast? So uh, pod sites. Mm-hmm. is a cross-platform analytics and attribution tool for podcast advertising. And so they allow you to do things like retarget your listeners, which can be very useful. And then on the other side, uh, Megaphone is one of the best platforms you can use for hosting your show. And they give you much of the tools to do that as well. 
Uh, one of the big things to mention, though, is that we really make sure that our shows have a web presence because we want ideally every listener to hit that web page at least once. Like, like the you know show show notes for for instance is a typical. Okay, interesting. And that that's for that retargeting and ads because generally we're going to it's going to be either a video teaser or show notes from an episode that we're promoting and then retargeting somebody with subscription and download of full episodes. Where do you see podcasts going in, in the next five to 10 years? I mean, you guys are all in, so I think you've already actually answered that question, but, uh, but I'm just kind of curious your take, like how, how big can podcasting get? Like it, part of me almost thinks like, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't believe it's going to be super saturated, but there's obviously more and more people starting podcasts. There's more and more people. I mean, I think the, obviously listenership, I think is, if I'm not mistaken, is growing. I know, you know, I know it's growing. Um, but how how big can it get, and 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 where does podcast fit, you know, alongside things like you know, we'll just say actually just an example, of blogging, like in the next five to ten years. So, podcasting in China is a little over a seven billion dollar a year industry. That's over twenty times the size of the U.S. market right now. And one of the big reasons for that is the Chinese market is primarily driven by subscription shows. Whereas the U.S. market is primarily driven by ad-based shows. Hmm. And so I think the big thing that's coming in podcasting is diversification of business model within the podcasts. We're going to see more entertaining shows do live events. We're going to see more other shows create subscriptions and other sort of dedicated services alongside. And that's, that's the real shift that I see coming is moving a little farther away from ads. That is interesting. Because it's so hard to get the big show. But if I can get a thousand listeners and they're each paying me $3 a month to subscribe to my show, I've got a nice little business. What? Well, I, th- I thought we were going to wrap up, but if you got a few more minutes, now I got to ask about this. Let's do it. Okay. If you were, if you, if you're, you're seeing that then in the space or you already see it's happening in China and maybe, maybe there's even some, some platforms who are already doing it in the U S I'm, I'm actually not familiar with any necessarily. Maybe I would be if I thought deeply, but how would you, like, when and how would you recommend the idea of moving to a paid subscription type podcast? Like when's the, where would you see, like, when does the, what does that become like the type of business move to make, I guess, especially if you know, you're know you not going to be doing ads or you don't think you'll ever get up to the, the enough downloads to make sponsorship or ads like really make you a significant amount of money? So I would, I would start a show that's related to your business, mm. first off. So make the show part of your marketing. If you want to expand beyond that, if you're talking like podcast as digital media business, I think you probably want to have a thousand or 2000 downloads if you're trying to monetize without having any sort of existing audience. If you have some existing audience or if you have like content ready to go that is worth paying for, if you have, you know, enough stuff to make a 10 week audio course, then launch your subscription show from the start. And so that's really what it comes down to is, do we have something, do we have monetizable content to go with that show? And if not, do we have an audience to then develop monetizable content for? Hmm. Okay. This is fascinating. Um, we, you know what, this is, this is just, I, I'm really curious about this and where that's going to go. Do you, well, do you, is there any software that people use for that right now? Or like, how would you sell, 
Is it just like through the typical, like, I don't know, like iTunes channel? It's like, okay, I pay for my subscription. Because where my head goes immediately is I'd love to use pay what you want pricing for something like this. And I'm like, well, then how would I hook a bullet tech to deliver it? How can I be on these platforms? Would it be, have to be exclusive to something like iTunes or something like that? If I'm not on iTunes, does that hurt? I know there's a lot of variables there. And that's, kind of, that's also kind of a question, but also just like a statement that's really broad. Um, again, on the, I guess that the implementation tech side of things, is there stuff that's already out there that makes it easy to do this? So there's a few offerings out there. The most common way is a private RSS link. Um, and I know Patreon offers that. Uh, Quartz has launched a system, uh, or no, Slate. Slate launched a system called Supporting Cast that allows you to offer that sort of membership platform for podcasting. What was the first one you, you mentioned? Patreon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, and I know, I know that piece. I'm curious how that would tie into the the delivery though of the podcast. So uh, the way it's done is you have a private RSS feed link. Got it. That you send somebody. Hmm. That's pretty uh, straightforward. So, yeah. So it's not that complex. Interesting. Well, this is food for thought. Now you got me. Uh, you got my brain spinning because I love the idea to do them pay what you want related, not necessarily to this podcast, but maybe to something else like a, a related topic. Um, well, now, now I got things to think about. Yeah, time to start a new show. That's it, Mike. Well, hey, thank you so much for being on In the Trenches. Where can people reach out to find you, Mike? You can find me at callforcontent.com. I host Office Hours every week. So if you want to talk with me directly, that's hands down the best way. You can find playbooks on everything that I talked about there as well. And... Otherwise, you can reach out to me at Gent of Tech, G-E-N-T-O-F-T-E-C-H on all the social medias. Mike, I really appreciate it, man. This has been a really uh, enlightening conversation. I think you guys are doing some good work and I appreciate being on In the Trenches. Thanks for having me on. It's been a lot of fun. Are you trying to grow your online business but struggling to get new customers consistently and predictably? Are you tired of working nonstop only to see your income plateau? Are you ready to step off the hustle hamster wheel, as I call it, and step onto a path of predictable profit that you can scale as much or as little as you want? Don't worry, you're not alone. I've been there. When I first got started, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. So I started reading blogs and listening to podcasts by people I respected and wanted to learn from. I slowly but surely put their recommendations into practice. But because I wanted to do it all myself, maybe you, you're something like that, right? And you love to do, do it by yourself, learn through trial and error. Well, bottom line is it took forever. Results were unpredictable when I was first getting started. I wasn't sure where to spend my time, money, and energy. And shiny penny syndrome got the best of me on more than one occasion. For many entrepreneurs, the amount I sacrificed, working literally nonstop in some cases in my spare time, and 12 and 14-hour days routinely after going full-time, combined with the endless fog of war, aka that uncertainty that I had to deal with at all times because I was going it alone, I think that would have been enough for most entrepreneurs to throw in the towel. But I was persistent, focused, and I stayed humble. Day after day, I worked to grow the traffic to my website, increase my list of subscribers, and generate a healthy living for my eBooks, eCourses, and other digital products. At least that was the goal. But maybe more important than the work was that I paid attention to what I was doing, including what worked and what didn't. Eventually, I discovered a predictable pattern of growth. And so what I did was I just doubled down on those things, and I scrapped or sidelined the other things that weren't working so well. Finally, two years after resigning my commission as a captain in the army and going full-time on my online business front with my blog, with my podcast, et cetera, I replaced my income 
with digital product income. Two years. And so if that's where it stopped, I would have been happy with it. I would have been happy with the results. I wouldn't have complained. I would have been very content just replacing my income. But the bottom line is it was so much work. I wanted to you know, see if it could go somewhere else, right? So I just kept doing what I was doing, but better, faster, and more effectively. Again, just kind of applying the same system that I discovered uh, from seeing these patterns emerge, right? So I implemented it. I kept doing it. And eventually, replacing my income turned into doubling my income. And then that turned into a little bit more and a little bit more. But not just that, it afforded me the freedom to dictate my day and also choose the projects I want to work on, on the schedule and on the timeline I want, and to work with the people I want to work with. And to me, that's like a whole new level of freedom, especially coming from the military. It's something I've never really had that level of complete autonomy until I became my own boss. I started my own business. And until ultimately, until it became profitable enough for me to start to take a step back and actually reap the rewards of it. Because it's not all just working, working, working. And I do believe it's hard work. And I'll always say that nothing about doing this stuff is easy. But at the same time, you've got to reap the rewards at some point and take some of that profit, uh, even if you're just reinvesting it into new assets and things like that. Bottom line is, it can't just be work, right? Entrepreneurship and business is about that result that occurs, the value you've created and the profit, that that piece of value that you've captured, okay? And you want to be able to reap the rewards of that profit, of that value, that little sliver of value that you get to capture, that you get to net, right? You want to be able to take advantage of that. Otherwise, you know, the entrepreneurship game really does become just a grind. And, and for, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, unfortunately, it becomes meaningless and that's when they quit. Well, for me, I love this stuff. I really, truly do. I mean, it is my thing. And so that's why I didn't just stop where I was at. I've stayed committed to learning everything I can about all aspects of this online business world and this online marketing world. And I do this through real world application. In other words, I'm currently growing several online businesses and I'm always putting my ideas to the test in real time with my own money, with my own time and energy, oftentimes with employees, you know, a lot of some, some stuff more advanced, some stuff more simple, but you know, so varying levels of complexity and again, in different spaces, different niches. And I can say, you know, bottom line, I've always loved the startup hustle, but I got to say, it's nice to now be in a position where I can get big results with much less effort. Thanks to having built the foundation of my business the right way. And again, I did it all through trial and error, but I don't think that that's the way that everyone needs to do it. And in fact, looking back on it, if I had to redo it, I don't know if I would. It was so difficult to just go it alone and try to figure everything out by myself. So one of the things I've tried to do is give back with this podcast, with my blog, and with my newsletter. But maybe even more rewarding than any of this stuff, while I've enjoyed all of it, I think the thing that I'm enjoying the most, that I find most engaging and rewarding, is the premium business mastermind and coaching program I run called 100K Academy. Inside 100K Academy, I help ambitious entrepreneurs who are very driven and excited to be doing what they're doing. I help them grow their reach, their influence, and their profit using my proprietary marketing system. That's the same one I use to scale my own online businesses from zero to multiple six figures and beyond, and the same system I use to help my clients reach the New York Times, Wall Street Journal bestseller list, set Kickstarter funding records, and create viral product launches that have turned into predictable revenue streams. So lots and lots of case studies that you can find at tommorcus.com. If you're curious, just go to tommorcus.com slash about, and that'll get you started. Most importantly, this system is one that 100K Academy members and alumni have used to achieve tremendous results, like Alexa, who used it to have her most profitable year ever, or Tina, who used it to make five figures from a sales funnel that she can now replicate and scale, and that's exactly what she's doing, or Carrie, 
who made over $75,000 in just seven days. And the crazy part about his story was that his online business was actually a side hustle up until that first profitable launch, which he has then been able to grow and scale. And he subsequently quit his job following that very successful week. And I think that that has been just a game changer for Kerry and the life he's living and the work he gets to do and the impact he gets to make on the world because of the great work he's doing now, because he was able to figure out a system that would get him the targeted traffic, the subscribers, the sales to grow a profitable online business. Bottom line, if you want to grow your online business from six to seven figures, but you flatlined or you're struggling, or you just want to be told what to do and when to do it and in what order, right? And you want a system that is predictable and scalable and isn't just you know another shiny penny, but actually will fit right into your business. It plugs in and is something that you can truly grow. I want you to go to tommorcus.com slash academy. That's tommorcus.com slash academy. Academy is spelled A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. Go to tommorcus.com slash academy, and you'll find a page on my website with more details about 100K Academy, the business mastermind coaching program I run, as well as instructions on what to do next. Again, that's tommorcus.com slash academy. And if you're serious about growing your reach, influence, or profit, just follow the instructions and we'll be in touch, okay? Again, tommorcus.com slash academy. Go ahead and head over there now. That's it for today. Stay frosty.